Tov. Today's daf is uh, is uh, Tzadi Bet. We pick up at the bottom of Tzadi Aleph on Bet, and we are uh, going to almost uh, finish the parak today. Um, and so we're dealing with like we have some sort of you know I'm call more fun sugyas here at the end. Um, it's all fun. Anyway, the, we're go we're picking up with continuing the um, Rabbi Akiva's response to this person who did this trick to try to prove that he was exempt for or should not pay a heavy fine or a heavy boshet more literally for uh, uncovering this woman's hair. So Rabbi Akiva said well, you know, because he showed that she did it to herself, so he says, look, you can, you're not allowed to injure yourself, and that led to a, a fascinating discussion yesterday about whether, the per, whether you were not, were not allowed to do self-injury, um, certainly if it's, uh, if it's uh, you know, if it's something that will not heal, then that's minimally baltashchist, you know, and suicide certainly is also, but a self-injury that will heal, is that or is that not allowed, and the Gemara sort of said it was a debate, it was not really clear in the end what the, you know, where the exact prohibition was from, but even if you're not allowed, you still have to, if you do it, there's no payment, if somebody else does it to you, uh, you have to pay. And the other example Rabbi Akiva gave was cutting, uh, cutting down shoots uh, like young saplings, you're not allowed to do it, but if you do it to your own property, you're exempt. Somebody else does it to you, they have to pay. So why are you not allowed to cut your own saplings? So let's take a look. Well, Baltasas, we already gave, yeah, it said that. So, I mean, we brought that concept in yesterday. So that's where we pick up. So Tzadi Aleph Amudbet, about eight lines down in the wide lines, um, by the two dots. Okay? So it says like this. Tani Rabba Barbarchan, a Kamidrav, so Rabba Barbarchan taught him if I go ahead and I say to Michael, Michael, you killed my ox. You cut down my, my saplings. Um, and then Michael says back to me, Sure, because you told me, you asked me to kill your ox. You asked me to cut down your saplings. Michael's exempt. Okay, Even now, alone, right? so, well, so one minute, well, okay, but let's take a look. I mean, well, that's a good question. What, is there any evidence? I'm a lay, so he first thought that it meant that I actually brought witnesses that Michael did it, and that Michael's still able to say that you told me. So he says, In king, You've not allowed the creatures to live. Does Michael have any, 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 you know, any uh, trustworthiness in his claim? I have evidence that he did it, or we thought I had evidence that he did it. So I'm a lay, Okay, this was a bright that I had. You make it, you know, you're saying it doesn't make sense. Should I strike it out? Should I erase it? Throw out this brighter? No, no, you don't have to throw out the brighter. Your brace could be explained in the following context. Now, it doesn't say what Michael said, which could have just been that there's no evidence to it. But if there's no evidence, then it's like a boring statement. Then Michael's right. It's a classic Kofar call. You owe me $100. No, I don't. Okay. So the case is, I do have evidence. Okay, but... And, and so why does Michael get off? Because the circumstances indicate that Michael is probably telling the truth. Why? Because the ox had to be killed. Okay? And, the, and well, I don't know why. It was a goring ox. Well, well, the Shrey Niskel then would be beasted that would have to kill it. It was sick, maybe. Okay? Something like that. The, 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 the saplings had to be cut down. You know, they were blemished. They were blight. Whatever it was. It was clear it had to get done. Okay? So, so in that case, and then, so of course, so it makes sense that Michael, that he's telling the truth. So, Mar says, um, 
Okay, my anyway. So if that's true, then what am I, what what type of compensation would I be asking for anyway? The, the, the job had to get done, so it's not that the thing is worth anything. No, No, I said to Michael, I'm not asking to to compensate me for the ox and the saplings, but you stole this mitzvah opportunity from me. <laughs> so what mitzvah opportunity is it? To tell you, let's take a look. Okay, so first of all, where's this idea that of, steal, of like uh, stealing? a mitzvah and that there should be some type of a compensation. Okay. Now, by the way, let's look at Rashi. Rashi says the ex- ex- examples of what, what the cases are that it had to be killed. So, only La Riga Rashi says, Shor Shehenis. Now, he doesn't say Shor Nisko, because again, a Shor Nisko would be Basin's job to kill it, um, but maybe it would be like, you know, like the, like the, 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 the mad dog, you know, the, the, you know, it's just a damaging thing, and for the public welfare, I have to get rid of it. Okay. And what's a tree that has to get cut down? Omi Lekitsitsa, Asherah. Hmm. It's a. It's been worshipped as a as, as a god. Um, oh, Kohen. After somebody else. No, not you. Not you didn't worship it. Some whatever. I don't know. I bought the land from some pagans who had worshipped the tree. So first thing I got to do is clear down all the asherahs. Okay. Oh, Kohen. No, Lucius Rabim. Or it is endangering the public. It's leaning over the Lucius Rabim and it's about to fall. Okay. So the mitzvah here would be to like you know remove potential injury damage from from the you know from the robin to save the robin from the risk of of injury okay so that's a you know a, a minimum you know mitzvah of gufa protecting people's person and property and some person so therefore i wanted to do that mitzvah so so where's this idea that you can sue somebody for stealing a mitzvah from you um the tiny we the brisa the shafach vechisa it says you shall you shall spill the blood when you shecht you know an animal like a like a deer let's say and cover it with blood so it's the same person the one who spills the blood the one who slaughters the animal has the has the mitzvah of covering it so we're telling this as background for the following story so I went. I I I shechted the animal. So and Michael he ran and he said, "Oh look, there's a mitzvah to do." And he ran and he covered the blood with uh, with uh, with with dirt. He did the mitzvah that it was really my responsibility. So Gamliel said, "We'll transport Rebbe Gamliel two thousand years to the future." Michael, you got to pay those two thousand ten zuvim, ten gold coins. You stole his mitzvah. How do you come up with okay, that? so how do you come up with that assessment? Right, and how does that apply? So I'll talk about that in a second. But anyway, but. So the point is here. I'm saying to Michael, Michael, you did it. You stole my mitzvah. And Michael says, well, you asked me to do it. So, again, it's now, now it's not, so not clear. So there's an idea of stealing a mitzvah. Why is he believed in this case? But whatever it is, we assume that the uh, circumstantial evidence is such that even though it is my mitzvah to do, it's not exactly like the mitzvah of covering the blood. It's a job to do. And it's reasonable that I would sort of like ask somebody to do it for me. So in this type of a context, there's not enough basis to collect for this stealing of the mitzvah. Now, the question is, what is this whole idea of stealing of the mitzvah? By the way, there's a Gemara that asks, the Gemara treats this story in more than one places like it's applicable, like it wasn't a one-time punishment that Rabbi Gamliel did, but it really is applicable to other cases. So the Gemara wants to know, is the problem that he stole the mitzvah or that he stole the bracha that went with the mitzvah? So the Gemara said, what's the difference? So it says, well, let's say I uh, honored Michael with the Birch HaSamazan, we're all sitting here and benching, and David jumps in and he leads the Birch HaSamazan. So does David have to pay Michael 10 gold coins or 
40 gold coins because he stole four brachas from Michael. Okay? So the Gemara actually asks this question and take a look here at the Tosfos. Okay? And let's take, right, take a look. He gives a real case. Okay? It says like this. Um, I think it also depend on how many people are there. If there's like a thousand people, it's much more of an honor too. All right. They're right. But here we're sort of treating it as a flat thing. But anyway, so if you take a look at Tosfos, three lines from the bottom of Tosfos, like a third of the way in, somebody was given an aliyah, okay, and somebody else jumped in front of him and he stole the aliyah from him, okay, so does he have to pay the guy he stole the aliyah from, Masar Zuhuvin, the Shalur Abinatam, the Asabinatam, so what's the story, I, he stole my aliyah, the Amr Lo, Shayitin Lo, Tarnagolis Lishchot, Tachas Osam Shte Brachot, so there are two brachas, right, the brach in the beginning and the brach at the end, so not 10 Zuhuvin, not 20 Zuhuvin, uh, give him a chicken, which is basically like a type of a, you know, like a, make him happy, okay, just give him something to, to, to you know, you're right, you did something wrong to him, appease him, give him a chicken. Yeah, it was not a... What? What? Well, that's so true. Anyway, Rabbein, right, right. Rabbein did not want to apply the Gemara's law. He wanted to just make shalom, okay? The annual retimes there. So, no, you can't say, like, you know, that you can, like, you know, just make the guy happy. Dean came, I'm like, what do you do with the Gemara? Treats this tens of them as a real thing. The ode, Padra Benetam, but a Serenam came up with a better reason to get to, to say you don't really owe him the money. Why? Mishum Shiyane Amin. Ah, okay, Michael, David stole your Aliyah, but you get to say Amin to David's Bracha. The God alone, Amin, Yosemina Mazarech. And the one who says Amin is more scar than the one that says It was clear. It was clear Rabbeinatam did not want to apply the law of the Gemara, okay? He was trying to just make shalom and move on. Okay? And then he has another reason. Thank you. Nah, we don't deal with cases that, you know, that some, that's not a real financial loss. Remember the Gemara before. Even if it's not technically a knas, right? If it's not a real financial loss, we don't deal with it in Bavel. So you didn't lose any money, so even though you lost a mitzvah. Right. 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 Uh, well, yeah, probably. That's an interesting question. So anyway, so this leads the rush responds to this and the rush says like he now Rabinadam never said it was a knas because it was a knas how do you apply an arbitrary knas of a assigned in one place to other cases of birchas and mazon of cutting down a tree but the um, so it seems like Rabinadam was saying it's a real type of a din but Rabinadam said whatever din it is it's not it's not a real financial loss so we can't deal with it in Bavel you know the rush says on this I'll just read you the one sentence the rush says um Hold on. Yeah, so he quotes Rabbeinu Tam. He says, in the middle of Simon Yudal, you don't have to look, I'll just read it. Um... The fact that the Gemara applies on Lamlio shows that it's not a knas, it's a real din, and we apply it to other cases. And anyway, like if it was a knas, why would you be, give a knas to somebody who was trying to do a mitzvah? Of course, he was trying to steal a mitzvah, it's different. Anyway, so, he, so basically the rush emphasizes this is like a din, this is not a knas. Um, but it's really, you know why I find this fascinating? Because, okay, fine, it's a din, what type of a din is it? I mean, you could say it's dina de garmi, but we're trying 
trying to do, and here's why it's really important for a contemporary example, you know, sometimes posting do discuss it in a mitzvah context, like the whole question about, this comes up in the, in, 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 in um, the, what do you call it, in the halachic literature, is if I honor somebody to do the bris milah for my son, and then this, and then somebody else jumps ahead and does the bris milah, whatever, so I, am, I imagine that type of a circumstance. But anyway, so these types of cases of stealing mitzvahs come up, and they do discuss things like this Rabbeinu Tom case, but why I find it more fascinating is, if you don't think it's a knas, and the Gemara does think, of whatever it is, even if it's a takana, not a knas, it's something that then we can apply to other cases. What it's trying to do is give a treat as theft and or damages and give a dollar value to something which is abstract and not concrete. Right? The right to do a mitzvah. Nobody's saying mitzvah slav No, It's not something that has a dollar value in halach and so on. And he's still saying you still stole something from the guy. Nothing physical or you, you know, you, you, and you robbed him of it or you damaged something and maybe he stole is the more bright. Now why is that relevant? Why do you think that's relevant nowadays to think that the Gemara is trying to do that? To give, to compete as stealing when you didn't steal something physical, you just stole something abstract. Exactly. The big problem in halacha is is that the whole world of you know intellectual property and copyrights, and you buy uh, an art scroll sitter, and they write a million times. It's absolutely forbidden from the law of the Torah and the law of the you know of the government to make any photocopy. Blah 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 blah. Right. So okay, what exact law of the Torah makes it us to make a photocopy of the art scroll sitter? Okay. So how, where do we get intellectual prop? You know, uh, intellectual property rights. So uh, it's a real question in halacha, but it's an interesting to think of something like this as a somewhat precedent. You know, not yeah, obviously. I don't know if people. I don't know if I, I haven't heard of anybody using this. They try to get it through other ways, but it is interesting because it's not. This is a mitzvah. That's you know. But the point is, it's showing. I think Chazal trying to treat as property as a thing you stole from somebody, something that is not a physical object. Yes. So. This is a very concrete language question. Uh, you, you should re- erase the right of the word isayme. Is, 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 I mean, um, I, I read it isamye, is, but is, is, yeah, but anyway, but it, I think it's like the word suma, yeah. like a blind or make it erase oh, it. Yeah. Make Yeah, I'm not the, the exact it. grammar. Nobody will see it. Erase it. Yeah, that's so, what I think it is. So, yeah. Another practical question, because you know, like, uh, so like you know, someone gets married, right? Right. They're gonna get a thousand and one dishes. So yep. should I not total the dish because then I'm taking away the mitzvah of them going. To, to um, well, before you've given it to them, before you give it to them, it's not their mitzvah. After you've given it to them, and they have their dishes that are standing and ready to go to the mitzvah, and you want to run and do it for whatever, now a lot of people will be very grateful That's for you. Know. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's, there's, whatever, there's circumstances where you can assume that somebody wants me to do it, you know, on the other, you know, but on the other time the Gemara says, you know, that the, uh, people would rather do a mitzvah themselves than have somebody else do it for them, but we all know there are circumstances where that's not true. They'd, they'd, they'd be very appreciative. So, obviously, it depends on the circumstances. Okay, let's move on. It is for the bracha, you're saying. Like, uh, well, no, that's a debate in the Gemara. That hasn't been reconciled. So anyway, um, uh, so now the Gemara continues, which is the reason that got quoted, which is so fascinating, is because it's about cutting down these saplings. But now we get to this issue of the Mishnah, that you're not allowed to cut down even your own saplings. That was a tree that had to be, that was going to collapse, that you had to cut down. So let's take a look. Amar Rav, said Rav, kava, if you have a palm tree that produces a kava fruit, however much that is, um, a bushel, whatever, I don't even know what a bushel is you're not allowed to cut it down now we haven't even he's giving some type of a quantification to the Mishnah but we haven't even explained what the problem is you know the problem clearly is Baltashkis, particularly 
because it's a tree you're cutting down. Okay? You remember yesterday we applied the idea of Baltashchis to like just ripping up clothing. But there's an interesting question whether, is it so pushed, you know, whenever you know, you know, when you were, you know, for me at least, in childhood, your mom always says, you've got to eat all the food on your plate, it's baltashkas. That's the Jewish mother's version of their children starving in Africa. It's baltashkas, okay? So, so, I mean, you know, you could ask an interesting question. Is forcing myself to eat something when I'm not hungry less of a or, you know, less of a than throwing it out? Like, you know, you're not wasting it. Well, anyway, but, okay. So the point, though, is we're all, we're all raised to believe that Baltashka sort of applies, you know, for all things. But it's not so clear, at least in the Torah, it's very specifically and concretely about the idea of cutting down a, of cu- of cutting down a tree, mm-hmm. right? It's a little bit yesterday, the Chiddush was, that we apply that idea to stru- ripping up garments, okay? But that clearly is the problem when Rabbi Akiva says you're not allowed to cut down your own trees. So, although it has yet to be explicitly articulated. So the Gemara is trying to quantify when is that really considered to be hashchasa, like destruction, right? I don't know, like, let's say I want to, you know, plan something else here. Let's say I don't like the view. Let's say, I mean, there's always the question, what exactly is the context of, you know, wanted destruction? But if you're talking about a tree itself, you know, it might be, it might be not be as easy to, to um, you know, to say that it's mutter. Right? When you abstract it, okay, oh, you're not allowed to wantonly destroy. So all you have to say is it's not wanton destruction, right? If I want to tear up these garments because it's uh, is a way of me relieving my grief, then, then it's Roger's my anger, then it, it's not wanting destruction, right? If, you know, they, if, if I want to have a water park and I use a million gallons of water to go down a water slide, is that fantastic of water or that's the, way I, that's the way I have some fun and it's entertainment? It's very hard to do real fantastic to say, right, unless you're really doing it just for the purpose of destroying it and serving no other purpose. But when you're dealing with the tree, you're dealing with the case in the Torah, right? And it says, don't destroy the tree. So there you might think that the parameters of Baltash, you know, it's harder to say that that's mutter, right? So that's what the Gemara is going to turn to, is the issue about the destroying of a, of a fruit tree, right? That's exactly the case in the Torah. Don't destroy the fruit tree. So to give me a hetter to destroy a fruit tree might require, you know, more restrict, more criteria than just normal Baltash. the opposite there, right? It may, it may not be us that. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a good point. A good point. It's a good point. Yeah. I like to say, well, depends if this is an actual tree with fruit at this point. Well, exactly. So let's take a look. That's why the Gemara discusses how much fruit is the tree producing. So it seems like the initial discussion of the Gemara is if we identify it as a fruit tree, we've got some serious problems. What makes it a fruit tree, right? How much fruit does it have to produce? So let's take a look. Um, Amarav, Dikla Detain Kava, if you have a palm tree that produces a kava of dates, okay, also the Mikatase, then you're not allowed. That presumably is an eight, you know, ma'achal, you know, that produces a fruit tree. You eat the whole uh, tree and all you get is a kava. A kava a year, I guess. Right. So even that small amount, right, that's important, right. This is not a large amount, that's a small amount. Even if it only produces a small amount, it's still a fruit tree and you can't cut it down. Mesve, I'll ask you on this. Coming a desire for low yakatso, how much should there be in a zayas to produce that you shouldn't? Now again, yeah, it said it shouldn't. Um, actually, no, I don't know. If t- the time means that it only produces that in a year. A time could mean that it, it could mean that it's that, that that's what's on the tree right now. Um, I think that that's probably more more the literal sense it of this. Hold, it holds. No, but it right now is it's, suppo- it's holding, holding that much. How much do they how do they translate it there? 
Bears. Bears. Well, bears. that's ambiguous enough. That does sound like ba- yeah, bears annually, bears right now. Yeah, that perfectly captures the ambiguity. Okay, anyway, may say, I'll ask you on this. How much should there be on the olive tree? That sounds like that. On right now, and you shouldn't cut it down. Rova, a quarter of a cob. So, it's not a cob. You said a cob. Different trees. Shani Zaysim, the Kashivi, olives are important, so even less gives it significance. Okay. Amar Chanina. So, Lo Shiva Shivchas Bri, my son Shivchas, that was his name, did not die he cut down a, uh, a date tree before it's time so uh, excuse me a, a fig tree um, cut down a fig tree before it's time so obviously there's a like, powerful metaphor here the tree was cut down before it's time he was cut down before his time uh, that was not him anyway uh, I know um, so anyway so obviously this is talking about you know it's not just a prohibition it's you know because there, there, that's what you know there's like this terrible sort of symbolic significance of what that means to destroy something in its prime and when it can still produce and so on but actually so until now it seems like we're just saying if it's an eight machal if it's an eight so pre then it's always usher period right it's not about an abstract batashris. if it's a fruit bearing tree don't cut it down now we're going to abstract this issue no 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 actually if you can make more money by cutting it down and selling the wood than you can make by having it produce the fruit then it's not balkashkis and then it's mutter so now we've complete, we've gone from the very concrete now we've abstracted it if actually it makes financial sense then it's not balkashkis and then it's mutter I'm sorry what does that mean meaning like if you can make more money right now with the annual fruit, the annual fruit or like I'll have 50 years of fruit from this tree and yeah that's, I, that's, a, good, that's a good point you're right like I mean how do you exactly assess that but how much is getting 50 years how much is getting a thousand dollars over 50 years compared to getting a hundred dollars right now you know so I don't know that's you know that is a good question you, but the point is you're right I don't know exactly how you would do the math but the principle is yeah. clear the principle is, is that if it makes financial sense you're allowed to do it right if I can cut let's say I can cut down this tree that will allow me to plow this whole field with weed and I can make a lot whatever because I get the tree out of the way. Okay, so we've now abstracted it. We went from concrete to abstracting it. It's about whether you're doing it, whether it's wasteful in the doing of it. Um, uh, okay. Oh, wait, Tanya, I mean, the field as opposed to, because you're not just in the tree now, but in your I'm assuming once we're abstracting it, you're right, it is different. It is different. You're not just saying that the tree itself is being used in a better way. You're saying I'm getting the tree out so I can make more money. So it's a good, yeah, you're right. So it's not clear we would necessarily go that step. Tanya, we talk similarly. Now this is the puzzle that says when you're allowed to do it. If you know that it is not a, fr- a fruit tree, a f- uh, then you can cut it down. So the Gemara says, actually, we're going to read this puzzle to say even if it is a fruit tree, you can cut it down. Okay, so this is the complete taking the concrete part of the puzzle and making it a pure abstraction. Okay, so let's take a look. A fruit tree also you can cut down. Or if it's not a fruit tree, that's a barren tree. Okay, either one you can cut down. <laughs> so the Gemara says, we sort of, you don't read the first half without the second half of the Pesach. In the end you're going to say you can cut down even a fruit-bearing tree. Why does the Torah say if it's not a fruit-bearing tree? No, to tell you that you have to 
prefer a barren tree, you know, or, or not, a, not just right now barren, a non-fruit-bearing tree to a fruit-bearing one. So that allows for the abstraction, meaning you can't just wantonly, if you have an e- all things being equal, you don't destroy the fruit-bearing tree. Okay? So, but it's now taking you from the concrete of the Torah, never destroy a fruit-bearing tree, only destroy these trees, to saying, just, you know, you can't do something that's wasteful. So you have to choose between the two, you choose the Elon Srak. Yacho afilu mu'ulab damim, maybe I should have to choose the Elon Srak, at least give some concrete meaning to the Pasuk, that at least, even if, if I have both, I would have to choose the Elon Srak, even if I could make more money by cutting down the fruit tree, the fruit tree's wood is better. Nope, even the, then you can cut down the fruit tree. Talmud rock. No, it's a limit. So even this idea of preferring the barren tree is only in limited circumstances when the, even if you have both in front of you, you only have to prefer the barren tree if it makes some more financial sense. But if you can make, if, if the fruit tree by cutting it down is, you know, you make more money off of it, you can cut down the fruit tree. So this is like brilliant where you see, I mean, to some degree, this is what Baba Kama has been. These concrete cases in the Torah, you know, an ox grows an ox and we, then we abstract it. But here you really have like a complete rereading of the psalm that's a no, never fruit bearing yes barren say really just don't be wasteful you know make the choice that is not the non-wasteful choice okay so the Gemara says like this um, 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 okay Shmuel I say Le'arise Tamri so Shmuel's uh, sharecropper brought him um, a date Achil he ate the date time behu time of the he had there was a little wine taste in it Amalei Mayai why does where did it get this wine taste from Amalei Beni Gufte Kaimi oh because the palm tree is uh, you know, it's growing amongst uh, the, some vines, presumably in a way, a way that it wouldn't be kilayim. Um, anyway, Amar, he said, Is it so much injuring the vines that it's, draw- that it's drawing their flavor? It must really be injuring the, you know, the vines, the grapes. So, Lamacher, I see Tomorrow I'd like you to bring me, like, the, uh, the beams of, uh, you know, of, of this tree. Cut down this tree, okay? Because it, should, it, cannot, it should not be damaging the vines. Now, now, it sounds like it's damaging his own vines. Now, he might just have been making, by the way, a, fi- you know, this is like, okay, this is financial sense. Like, the, the presence of the palm tree is causing me weight, it's got to be causing me a loss in terms of what the grapes are producing. So here, by the way, Michael, is the example. You're cutting down the palm tree not to make more money off of the wood of the palm tree, but to, to so you shouldn't have a financial loss somewhere else. So it shouldn't have the injury of the vineyard. So again, we are continuing to abstract it, cutting down a fruit tree if that's what makes financial sense. Okay, so the Gemara... Uh, but there are two fruit trees, sort of. Right, right. right. I mean, there is the vine. Yeah. Right, but right, but presumably it's... The vine was, the vine was right. That's true. I don't think it's because it happened to be... I think it was if it was injuring a wheat field, you'd also be allowed to cut it down. But, you're, but Michael was right to point out that that's going one step further. It's not just you're making more use out of the tree, you're just making more... Fin- what's doing fin- makes financial sense. Okay, Rafhiza saw a uh, also I think this is a, a palm tree growing amongst the vines, uh, uh, the grapevines. Amale Larisa he said uh, how does it translate? It's from the context sapling, yeah. It's a uh, right, it's, it's a right, it's a date sapling or whatever, palm sapling. Amale Larisa he said to his uh, his sharecropper, Akrinu Gufne Agreen Akrinu. tear out the palm tree. Okay? Gufne uh, Kani Dikle with 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 grapevines you can buy a lot of palm trees. Okay, Dikle Lokani Gufne. With palm trees, you cannot buy a lot of grapevines. Okay, so clearly the grapevines are the more valuable asset. Rip out the palm tree. So very nice.
nice little discussion about the abstraction of Baltashchus. Okay, now we mix back to the Mishnah and back to issues of Chavala. Okay, Avopishu no saying low, even if you pay, oh wow, look what time it is. Okay, even if you pay, we had too much fun there. Even if you pay the, um, the, uh, the, the, the damages and the immediate context was Boshet, embarrassment, shame, okay, you are not forgiven even if you make compensation until you ask for forgiveness. This is a very important point, right? You know, it's sort of like where it thinks, makes those things about Yom Kippur, right? It's like, okay, I made good. I injured him. I paid it. I paid off the debt. No. What the mission is saying is, is that that's only financial compensation, okay? There's a lot more, you know, of, 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 you know, of all of the sense of like being hurt and injured and, you know, this sort of psychological injury that is, that is not being addressed and that you actually need to gain forgiveness for that. Now, the interesting question is, because of the immediate context, this is coming right after a discussion of Boshet, of shame. And Boshet, you could say in particular, that you need to ask Mechila for. Let's say, I don't know, let's say I, you know, I mean, let's say I stepped on Michael's foot, you know, and I accidentally caused him, you know, you know, broken ankle or whatever, sprained ankle, he had to be out of work for a few days, and so on, okay? So, so I paid him for the loss of the work. It was a little bit of suffering. It was not a big deal. And I paid him whatever money. Do I have to ask him mechila? Now you would say, yeah, you should. You know, I mean, you still hurt him. It was like, you know, was it? But, but it's not the same degree as publicly shaming him, right? So it's interesting that this mission occurs. Let me give you another example. Let's say I totaled Michael's car and I gave, you know, and I brought him a brand him full value. He got himself a brand new car. Do I have to ask mechila if I damage his property and I compensate him for it? Right? So the, this comes right after the idea of shaming somebody. There it's like clear you should have to ask Mechila. But there's a whole range of cases where it would be important to know, right, of how much is the Gemara saying, even if you pay, you, should, you still need to ask Mechila. So, so let's think... Not, you're saying not talking just about Boshet. This comes after the Boshet discussion. But I'm asking that question. Let's see where the Mishnah goes. Right? Because it's not... It's, it's one thing to say it in the Boshet. Would you say it in injury without Boshet? Would you say it in just injury of property? Where would you say compensation is not sufficient? Okay? Yes. Go, go. I just want to know if it's the same Ferrari that he's kind of driving in two books. Good question. Okay. So, then... Because if the person, before the thing was taken to court, they weren't apologizing necessarily. Right. And now they're, they're putting in the context of because you're found guilty, you should apologize. Um, Rather than coming from his own... Uh, I'm not sure. I think that even when it says, I'll you no saying low, it could be your no saying low of your own. Like, it doesn't sound like you're re- resisting the process. It's just saying that you, besides compensation, you need forgiveness. So let's see what the evidence is in terms of my question of what circuit cases it would apply to. Okay, because the Pesach says, Okay, So this is by Avimelech. So God says, return the man's wife, Sarah, and he will pray for you and you will, and you'll be forgiven. So you see, you had to ask, presumably, to get Avram to pray for him. Avimelech would have to appease Avram. Now the Marshal also points out that it's says in the Pasuk, it says that Avimelech gave him Tzonu Vakar, right? He gave him money. So actually, so the Marshal says maybe that's sort of the parallel too. He actually paid him, okay. gave him something, uh, paying him for this financial, you know, some type of financial compensation, and nevertheless, he had to ask Avraham enough appease Avraham that Avraham would be willing to pray on his behalf. If you're willing to pray on somebody's behalf, it means that, you know, you've made peace with that person, right? To get to that level. So in, in addition to, pay, to giving him that money, 
he had to get him to the point where he would be willing to pay for him, to pray for him. How do you know that if you, now it's switching the sides, this is so much like a Yom Kippur discussion, right? You have to ask forgiveness, and now you have to, you have to be prepared to give forgiveness. You're not obligated to, but if you're not going to give forgiveness, you're cruel. Avram prayed. Now, I don't know how that shows that you're cruel if you didn't. I mean, okay, Avram was Avram. You know, why does that mean that if I'm not acting like Avraham, I'm a cruel person? I'm not exactly sure what the evidence is from the Pasuk. But in terms of my question, by the way, so, is that, was that issue an issue of shaming? Like, it wasn't like Avimelech took this woman and everybody knew Avimelech had now, you know, had now, kid, you know, you know, kid, you know, taken, you know, Avram's wife. Everybody thought it was Avram's sister. There was no public shaming that occurred, right? So, you know, so it's, it, the, the case is not a case of public shaming. So it is interesting in terms of this question of what is the scope that the Gemara thinks is these cases that you have to ask Mechila. Yes. I'll just point out that the, you know, this is a nice continuation. Remember what Rakiva said. Oh, that's a nice point too. And that's why maybe we have to live up to the example of Avram about not being Achzari. Okay. All right. Very Okay. So now the Gemara says, Omer, now this is a totally different point to the Mishnah, which we're not going to get to today. If I say to somebody, you know what, I ask you, so like cutting down my, uh, my, 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 my sapling, line my eyes, four, thank you, um, you know, cut off my hand, break, break my leg, then even though I ask you to do it, you have to pay me. Even if I say I'm not lift or do it and I'll exempt you. Chayef. However, if I say Karis Ksusi Shavas Kadi, I tell you, you know, uh, tear my clothes, break my picture, Chayef. Now that's a Kiddush, because that's property, and you would think if I asked you to do it, like I asked you to cut down the stuff, but if there's no good, if it's not clear that this is a, like the tree that needs to get cut down, it's clear that it's a destructive act, right? So if I'm asking you to do something which is a destruct, a, a, clearly an act of destroying property, not serving any purpose, then I'm not giving you, and I think it's a big Kiddush, I'm not giving you an implicit exemption of, of, of payment, even if I asked you to do it. But if I say it explicitly, I'm a list or putter. If I say on the condition that you're exempt, then you are exempt. So this is a big chiddish. Number one, even if I explicitly exempt you when it comes to injuring me, you're still chayev. Now that might be because I can never really mean it. Okay, it's never really sincere. How could I really mean to exempt you if you've done an injury to me? Um, or could just mean that objectively, that, you know, injury to a person is always objective injury. Destruction of property, as we've just seen, is not always destruction. It depends on the context and the purpose. Okay? So when it comes to injury of a person, my exempting of you does no good. When it comes to destroying property, the Kiddush is that even if I ask you to do it, that's not enough to implicitly mean a mechila or to implicitly redefine it that it's not a destructive act. So it's, a, you know, so it's a very big critic that the only time you're exempt is when it's both property, which can be by context sometimes not seen as destructive, and when it comes with an explicit exemption, an explicit, you know, and you won't have to pay. Also came the plonium and us, if I say, go beat up so-and-so, but don't worry, I'll exempt you. So... <laughs> Go ahead and destroy that guy's property. It's okay. Trust me. You won't have to pay. No, you still have to pay. Okay? I'm not in a position to be mochel. I don't have to pay. You do it. Okay, let's take a look. Now we have a fun opportunity to darshan these psukim by Avraham. Yes. Why does Rashi on the Mishnah make a point to say Psalma now according to Rabbi Akiva? Oh, because the last Mishnah ended with the statement of Rabbi Akiva. Yeah, this is a this is Yeah. Yeah. 
Now listen again to the Brighter. The Brighter again starts with the Boshet context. All of those that they said were uh, that, that, about the values, 200, 100, 400 of the previous Mishnah, the Ne Boshto. That's only the compensation for the embarrassment. Of Otsaro, the anguish, now this does not mean the physical pain, like when it's a Chavala. This is a scenario of Boshet. So the anguish, as opposed to the shame of it, right? A few even if you bring all of the uh, beautiful rams in the world as korbanot to God, God will not be forgiven to you up in heaven for the sin until you ask mechila from the person. Okay, so I want badcha. Okay, sorry, badcha. Um, I mean, okay. Um, so, um, so anyway, so. Um, um, so here's the here's the point. First of all, I think it's a really interesting question, right? About what is boshet? We never really fully explained this. Like, can there be boshet in private? You know, the Gemara discussed about discussed boshet in a bathhouse, where they were, or when you were naked, right? Right. But well, you were Yashain. Oh no, he was Yashain, and then he died, right? But does there have to be other people around? Let's say you, you know, and the Gemara discussed the boshet of the family. Let's say you did something to me in private. Nobody else was around. But you still are, you know, you still like, you, you, even if nobody else is around, right? You still. It's not embarrassment, it's shame. Yeah. And you can experience shame privately. Shame and embarrassment. Isn't shame also when you've done something wrong? Can you be shame? Ashamed of yourself. Ashamed of yourself. But some, anyway. Okay. So you're saying that if nobody else is around, then it's sort of like the psychological anguish. Somebody called me a mean name or whatever, or they say, or whatever, or they spat in my face. That's not, that's not embarrassment. Because nobody, there's nobody to be embarrassed from. There's nobody else around. Right. Okay. So that's my sense that the whole idea of boshet needs other people. And I think what the Mbraiti here refers to as tsar, the tsar of the boshet, is not the embarrassment. Right. It's, the, it's, it's the. I don't know if shame is the right word. Shame implies something wrong, but it's the anguish. It's, it's the, the yeah, pain. yeah, the psychic pain. What do you want to say, Why Seth? Shame implies something wrong. Doesn't it? Can I be ashamed of if I didn't do anything wrong? It's a subjective experience. I experience it as I've done something wrong. You can't have shame if you don't experience that you've done something wrong. Okay. Something wrong with you. Yeah, but but that's not that's that's too limiting for this. This is psychological anguish, right? If somebody calls me a name, right? You know, we're all you know in our minds reliving that experience in grade school when somebody did something to us or whatever. We live with those psychological. It's not shame. It's not like a you know you feel you've done something wrong, is it? Well, that's what you is. Yeah, I understand. You think that is shame? Dehumanizing. Right. Okay. Anyway, whatever term we have, that's the tsar here, okay? So the bullshit is the public embarrassment, and the tsar is that anguish and shame and whatever that you carry with you independent of that, which can sometimes occur even without the public aspect of it, okay? So, right, exactly. So that you need forgiveness for. So again, the question I ask is, so if I, but if I, if I break Michael, if I, if I total Michael's car and pay him for it, I don't have to ask him, I don't have to ask Mechila maybe. Maybe if I step on his foot and there's no shame or embarrassment or anything and I pay him for it, maybe I don't have to ask him Mechila, right? I don't know. But you know, that's not clear. What's the context in which I have to ask him Mechila? Okay, let's go back. Now the Gemara continues with the Avram story. Okay, now the Gemara is now going to do a drash on the Pesukim. It says, return the, the man's wife because he's a Novi. So the Gemara says, the Novi by Adure, the wife of a prophet, you have to return. 
Aishas Achir Lo Bayadur, you wouldn't have to return another man's wife. So Amar Rabbi Shmuel Ben Achmeni, Amar Yonasan, no, here's how to read the Pasuk. Hashem Aishas Aish, we call Makom. Return the man's wife regardless. It's a, she's a married woman. Okay, Vitkambarta, Hagoygam Sadiq Tarog, but you were trying to defend yourself and you were saying, God, would you destroy a righteous nation? You know, I, the guy, he told me it was his wife, it was his sister. What did I do wrong? So, hello, Amar Liachosi, Hikami Amrachiu, everybody said sister, brother. So God says, back, no, Naviyu, he's the prophet, which somehow means like, he knows what your real intention is, or God knows what your real intention is. So Karlime, now our version here is, he's already taught, but, but the, the version of this in Makos is, um, of the Kfar Lamad Mincha, he's learned from you. Okay, and let's see what it, what it is that either he taught or he learned from you. Achsinai Shabali'ir, when a visitor comes to the city, you say to him, oh, do you have a place to sleep, a place to, a, a, where you're staying? Can we provide food for you? You know, oh, or do you ask him, hey, what's the story with that woman traveling with you? Right? Is that your wife? Is that your sister? So it depends who's teaching whom. The version in Mako says, hey, buddy, Avram figured out the fact that you're asking about his wife, is it his wife or his sister? It's very clear what your intentions were. Your intentions were not so pure. You know, what type of a, clearly, you know, if you're totally pure, you don't start asking about the woman that somebody is traveling with. Um, the other version is a harder version to understand, which is from the story earlier with Avram and Sar with Paro, you should have learned that what? You should have learned that when somebody goes around with a woman and says, the sister might be his wife? I mean, that's a little interesting. Anyway, but somehow the point is, he's a Navi, you should have learned from him, you know, or he knows that your intentions were not so pure. Okay? And from here, because God was prepared to kill him, you know, uh, uh, it sounds like, I mean, although it doesn't sound like kill, it was like, uh, you know, but anyway, but you see that, uh, that he was deserving of death and he can't claim ignorance. Okay, now what can he not claim ignorance of? Ignorance of the law or ignorance of the facts? So, you know, to what he was really ignorant of was the facts, that it was his wife rather than his sister. So really, like, you can't be exempt if you did some questions or whatever, I mean, you know, or, you know what I'm saying? Or can you say, well, I didn't know it was usher to commit adultery? That was never the discussion whether it was usher to commit adultery, right? So it's, I really don't know how to fully unpack this Gemara, but somehow it sounds like he should have figured out from your past events with Paro, or your questions made it obvious that your intentions were not so pure, that you cannot really claim pure innocence of knowledge and pure innocence of, you know, of, of, of not knowing the facts. You had a responsibility to know the facts better. You know, either because you should have learned from what Avram did by power, which is very funny. I should have learned from this other person's misdeeds and lying in a previous case not to trust him now, right? Or, if your intents are not so pure, you have a responsibility to do more due diligence, okay? And even so, you'll be held liable for your actions. Yes? This is a situation where Avram says, there's no year of Shemayim here. Definitely right. Right. And that's, and that's where this message is. How do you know there's no year of Shemayim? That, that Rashi brings that in in a better place. Bringing this in and Kinavihu doesn't fit so well. What does that have to do with him being a prophet? But it, does, it is a very good gloss on Rock in Yeratelokim by Makomazel. What are they doing asking about this woman I'm traveling with? Okay, yeah. All right, so now the Gemara continues. Hashem. God had closed up, you know, Biad Kol Rechem, literally every womb. Um, but the question is, even in the Psukim, does that mean womb or is that a euphemism? Orifice. Orifice or, not get general orifice, but it basically means it was impossible to have sex. Okay? So, you know, it's, it's referring to the vagina, not the womb. So that's, I think, just a shot question in the Psukim. But let's see what the Gemara does. 
So what are the purpose of these two closings? So both men and women had their orifices closed, or at least their sexual or, or organs or orifices. He couldn't ejaculate. And two orifices in the woman. She could not, now here could mean, I would think it means that she could not receive sperm, and it means that they couldn't have sex. But Rashi says it means had she sperm gone into her body, it won't come out, which I don't really understand what the purpose of that is, of emphasizing that. And she couldn't give birth. Right. Thank you for anticipating that. Two for men. He couldn't urinate also. Whether that means in or out. And she couldn't urinate. The later, and she couldn't give birth. Once we're now that we're on a roll, Ravina three for man. He also couldn't defecate. Okay, all the orifices were closed. Okay, but I call Rachem for every womb. Every womb is not just all openings, but all wombs. Even the, even the chickens, even the hens, did not uh, drop their eggs during that time. So now we're going to have a whole rest of the daf talking about where do we have biblical precedents for common sayings, okay? So for common, you know, popular, popular sayings. So Emily Revel Rabbi Barmari. Minam Yosa, the Amarabanan, where does this, uh, what's the basis for these things that the rabbis say? First we, I'm sorry, first we do rabbinic sayings and then we're going to talk about popular sayings. What's the basis for these things that the, that the rabbis say? Anybody who prays for his friend, but you're in need of the thing you're praying for, right? Then you're answered first. If you act selflessly, then you know your needs somehow will be fat, will be will be taken care of. I'm really deceived that the Hashem shavit God returned the you know the captivity of Eov when he prayed for his friends. Eov was praying for his friends, and Eov was answered for himself. You stayed from there. You went all the way to Eov. I'm going to tell you here from Bracious. Now the direction here is it's not he had already pakad at Sarah. That's the direction. Right. Kasher Amar. Kasher Amar Avraham. Now when Avraham said Al Avimelech, when Avraham had prayed Al Avimelech, not as God had said, but according to Avraham's request for Avimelech, God had answered Sarah at that moment. Okay, so uh, so okay. Amalei, uh, so Amalei Rava le Rava. Although that's, if you think about it, that's a little bit problematic because Avram would have had to have had sex with her after he. <laughs> you gotta have. You gotta make sure it's Avram's baby. What? No, 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 no. I'm just saying. Think about the sequence. Avimelech takes Sarah. He returns. Uh, he returns her to Avraham, and God. Avraham is praying for Avimelech, and uh, and Sarah is is be, is become is conceiving, conceiving from what event? Right. No. <laughs> before, oh, maybe before, maybe before, before she was taken by Avimelech. Okay. Okay. Fine. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, I know, but that's because of what people were saying. But I'm just saying, according to the actual facts, the way the commercial thing. 
by the way, one of the biggest, you know, it's always fun looking at the way, like, rabbinic sort of insults or, you know, or ways they sort of, uh, you know, like, uh, like, uh, uh, um, change, um, you know, sort of sharp comments when they're, when they're having, like, these arguments with Shem Shemayim. So anyway, one of them that I, that I really appreciated was there was a Kaz who was sort of quoting some opinion, I think it was the Ba'ath, and anyway, he said, like, you know, Vesharalei Mare, which means, like, you know, the Bonu Shalom should forgive him for saying such a stupid thing. So then the Shach says about the Taz, he <laughs> He prayed for other people, but he's the one who needed that praying. I'm like, he's saying the stupid thing. Anyway, fine. Okay, so Gemara so, says, um, all right, where are we? Um, uh, okay. Um, so Rav said to Rav Barmari, now we go from a rabbinic saying to a popular saying. What's the basis in this hour for the popular saying? lucky karva. When you're together with the uh, the vine, the actual um, uh, like a vegetable is also injured. Like when you have to uproot the reed, weeds, sometimes you wind up uprooting the vegetable together with the weeds. So amalei dechsev lama terivu elai kulchem lama terivu elai. Why you fighting against me? Kulchem pashatimbi. You've all sinned against me, Umashem. So including the tzaddikim together with the rishayim. Amalei atam atamart mehasam. You're saying from there. The anaminu mehaka. Like it's clear, Rava wants to go back to the Psukim in the Torah. To when have you refused? God is saying to Moshe and Aaron, and he's talking about all of the Israel, but he's including Moshe and Aaron. How long has not did they are they refusing to observe my mitzvos? Are you all refusing to observe my mitzvos? I'm only Rava the Rabbi Barmari. So now we're going to before we continue with the with the popular sayings, we're going to have just another just an interpretation here, uh, like a drush on the Psukim. Okay, the verse says, Yosef took five of his brothers from the Ketzei, which, Raj, which means, uh, the Raj interprets it means from the, uh, from the uh, weaker of his brothers, so that Paro should not, uh, you know, should not try to take him for Paro's own, you know, uh, uh, shepherds and so on. So, um, so he took five people. So, Maninu Chamisha, who are these five? Which are the five brothers? If you read in the, in the Abracha, you know, um, um, uh, you know that uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, you, you know, in the bracha in Vayichi, so five of the brothers, their names are repeated. Okay, Lishimon Amar, you know, Ladan Amar, Dan Gorayye. So it repeats the names, and, and the others it doesn't repeat the names. So the drasha here is the way the Rashi explains it. The five whose names are repeated, what? Oh, that's Zotah Bracha. Excuse me, not Yishi. That's what I was trying to think of as I was talking. Yeah, you're, you're right. It is Zotah Bracha. So actually, that's interesting. Okay, fine. So right, because it's yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. It's Bracha. Right, right. Thank you. Okay, it's the Zotah Bracha. So the Zotah Bracha, five of the names are repeated, um, and Rashi says that's an indication that they were weaker, so they needed the repetition of the names in order to like give them, you know, the uh, strength. So and therefore, because they were the weaker brothers, they were the ones that Yosef took and stood before Paro. Okay, so it says like this. Um, so the Gemara says one minute. They're not five. There are six. Yehuda was also repeated and clearly Yehuda is not a weaker brother you know he was the strong one so how does this work and it's six and it's not five no 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 Yehuda 
was repeated for a different purpose, not because he was weaker, but for a different drasha. What's meant? Right, it's the Zosaprocha. Ruvain should live and not die. His men should be numbered. So what does the so does the Vizosli Yuda mean? Right, the other repetitions are Ladanamar, right, Lasheramar. What's Vizosli Yuda? So here's the drasha, and that's why it's said twice. Kolos and Arboim Shana, Shai Yisrael Midbar, the 40 years that they were in the wilderness, Hayat Moser Shai Yehuda Megugalim Ba'aran. Yehuda's bones were rolling in the Aran. They were not, they were restless, and they were not, uh, they were, the, Rashi says that the skeleton was not whole, or the, the bones had all sort of, you know, fallen out of the structure. Okay, Ad, and the reason is, it's because Yehuda said to his father, V'chatasi lavi kolayamim. So if I don't return, Binyamin. And the point is that, he even, though, that even though he did return Binyamin, right, since, you know, you know, so, uh, so the Rashi quotes the Gemara that says a curse of a, of, of, of a sage, uh, even if it's yeah. on a condition, is still, still, is, still is effective. So even though he, he brought this, you know, he said about himself, but, and even though the condition was met, there was still some impact of saying that. So therefore, that had not somehow fully been released from that. Um, until Moshe came and prayed for Yehuda. Who, who caused Reuven to admit for his sin of sleeping with his father's maidservant? Yehuda. Now, because that's another drasha. That when Yehuda sort of said, you know, you know, um, so Reuven said, oh my gosh, Yehuda now admitted to what he had done with Tamar, I have to admit, you know, to my sin. I don't know. So then, Shema Hashem Kol Yehuda. So meaning the way the drasha is, is that Moshe is saying, you just missed talking about Reuven, and then after praising Reuven, Moshe is saying, Fizosli Yehuda? So, you know, given Reuven, and Reuven admitted whatever, this is Yehuda's fate? That his bones are, you know, are, are, are rolling around in the Aron? Yehuda was the cause for Reuven having uh, admitted. So, Miyad, Shema Hashem Ko Yehuda. So, um, so, God heard the voice, or God should hear, but God did hear the voice of Yehuda, and God responded to Moshe. So the, uh, the limbs, the bones, went into their sockets. Okay, so they stopped rolling around. The, the structure got reconstructed. But nevertheless, but uh, Yehuda still was not invited to the base medrash up in Shamayim. Okay, even though his bones got fixed. So, so Moshe continued to pray. Let him come into his nation. His nation is clearly the base medrash up in heaven. But it was like the story about, you know, Moshe and the base medrash of Rabbi Akiva. So he was entered into the base medrash, but he didn't know what the conversations were about. So, he didn't know how to have good halachic discussions with the rabbis there. Yadav Ravlo, let his hands be victorious for him. Let him have an ability to argue in the base medrash. Fine, he was able to argue, but he never, his he argument never won out. We never passed like him. Let him have strength against his uh, adversaries. Okay, so very fascinating how we went from Yehuda now to being a Talmud Chacham in a base medrash up in heaven. But anyway, now we're going to go back to popular sayings. Let's just see if we can turn the page. Okay. Where's this thing that people say? Right, like we would say, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Poverty follows, po- follows the poor. We have a Mishnah. 
The rich would bring their bikurim in like these uh, baskets of gold and silver. And the poor would bring their bikurim. They would bring it in like these like wicker baskets of like peeled, uh, you know, uh, whatever, uh, wicker, whatever. Um, now, when you would give it to the kanim, so if you were giving in a poor wicker basket, the kanim would keep the basket. If you gave in a nice gold or silver basket, they would return the basket. <laughs> so the poor person. He has to get his basket as well, because so, it's a salim as opposed to beklatot uh, is what is the what the Ashirim would bring it in. The, the Aniim would bring it the salim, and the Ashirim would bring beklatot. So Amalei Apa Martin Lehasim. Exactly, they have to give They have to give up their baskets. The rich ones don't give up their baskets. Amalei Apa Martin Lehasim. The Anamine Hacha. I say from here. The Tamei Tamei Yikra. So the 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 Mitzora is kicked out of the camp, and then he has to tell everybody, I'm Tamei, I'm Tamei, keep away from. Me. So it's not enough that he's been pushed out, he has to push himself even further out, which is not exactly about poverty. Alright, let's read one more line. I know it's already over, we'll read one more line. I'm going to read Rabbi Barmari. Where's this thing the rabbi say? Right, yeah, right, exactly. You can figure out how these also match up to Ben Franklin's sayings. Where do you know people say, you know, eat early in the morning, eat early uh, because of the heat, eat early in the winter because of the cold, and the uh, Ami Inchi, and people say, Sixty people can run after somebody; they won't catch up to a person who has his bread in the morning. So, how do you know the importance of a good breakfast? <laughs> so, I'm going to lay. So, he says, They will not be hungry, and they will not be thirsty, and the heat and the sun will not hit them. So, meaning, if you eat early and you're not hungry, then you won't be affected by other things. You say there. You should serve Hashem your God. That's the davening. And then He will bless your your bread and your water. So that's your breakfast. Because you can't eat till you daven. Your bread and salt and some water. And I will remove all sickness from you. Once you have your good morning breakfast, you won't be sick. Satanya machla zumara. Machla is gall or bile. Okay, Why is it called machla? Because in gall and bile there are 83 types of sickness. Because machla That's the gematria of machla. The kulan, all these bad things that can be brought on by 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 gall or bile. If you have a, if you just have some bread in the morning, you'll be saved from all of these uh, afflictions. Okay, to be continued tomorrow.